0: Okay. Hi, everybody. I'm Maria Recovered, compulsive overeater. Amen. And, uh, you know, just to qualify, I think um, that I have always experienced a deep, deep hunger and thirst for something greater than me as a kid. And my, as a kid, what was acceptable in my house was overeating. It was a way of life. It was totally acceptable. If you didn't eat to mass quantities, there was something wrong with you. And uh, when I got into the real world, I realized that there was something wrong with me. Not everybody ate the way I did, and my family did. And not everybody thought the way I did. I felt very uncomfortable in, in the world and, and around me. So my great obsession became to fit in. And to fit in meant to be thin. And I did anything to be thin. And uh, alcohol was the wonderful mode of transportation for me into... Let me be normal. Let me be like every other, every other girl that I see, right? Uh, it, it made me acceptable in my peer group because I hung out with people that were just like me. It made me acceptable in, um, in, in every sense. But there were times when I would relapse, and every time I relapsed in Alcoholics Anonymous, I would pick up in an overeater, Overeaters Anonymous as well. It seemed to me like there was, it was always whack-a-mole for me. <laughs> If I was thin, I was drinking or using drugs to excessive amount. If I was getting off of the alcohol and drugs, I started blowing up like a balloon because I would start eating mass quantities of food. So I was always seeking ease and comfort, like the doctor's opinion says. It's all I ever want. I never knew how to get it. I never knew. Um. For years and years, I floundered in both Alcoholics Anonymous and Overeaters Anonymous because I could never, ever... I never had everything down at one time. I never did. I never saw a correlation. And I would compartmentalize my addictions, which never, ever worked for me. So now, today, I have a spiritual malady, and I have many allergies. Physical allergies as well as behavioral allergies. I I do things other than eat and drink alcohol and take drugs to excess, shopping, uh, sex, working, anything, anything. I'm extra. So that being said, I think I can qualify as I have a real spiritual malady, and there's a home for me in in all of our 12-step programs. So (laughs) luckily, I don't have to go to a million of them, right? I have one set of tools. I have one set of 12 beautifully designed tools the kit of spiritual tools, right? And here we go. Um, I'm going to cover... There's a solution next? Mm-hmm. Okay. So just because we're skipping over Bill in, in, for, for our purposes here, Bill's story is placed in this book for a very specific reason. We need to identify in. We, we call it language of the heart. If I don't understand that there are other people out there that are just like me and they share in a common problem, then I'm not going to know that there's a common solution either. So... Um, When you read Bill's story, it's really advised that you do that on your own time outside of this step study. And just qualify yourself in. Ask yourself questions. Do I eat like Bill drank? Do I think like Bill thinks? Do I act like Bill? Do I believe I can recover too? So, um, I hate skipping over Bill's story. (laughs) Um, Here we are with There's a Solution. Um, Kim and I always know that I'm going to cover There's a Solution because it's my favorite chapter. Just like the doctor's opinion is probably hers. <laughs> I love There is a Solution. It changed my life when, I, when help, somebody helped me break it down so that I can understand it in my little specific way. I needed to get that. So there's lots of things that are going on here that I have to understand the how and the why of it. Why does this thing work? How does this thing work? So on the first page of There is a Solution... We're going to talk about we, and that's the first 100 uh, recovered men and women of Alcoholics Anonymous. They, um, they were once just as hopeless as Bill. Nearly all have recovered. They solved the drink problem. Wow. I never heard anybody speak like that in an Overeaters Anonymous meeting. I've never heard anybody speak like that. Like, I have recovered. I have solved my food and weight issue. Um, this is freeing for me. To realize that that's a reality for people, and that that can happen to me too, I wanted what they had, and you know what's amazing for me, um, God uses my good and my bad, and He uses my obstinate, arrogant. If you could get this, then there ain't no reason why I can't get this. And I went out and I pr- went out to prove that either this program was going to work for me or for, or it wasn't, you know. And luckily, I was. Uh, repeatedly told over and over again um, by my mentor, take the, take the experiment, see if it works, mm-hmm. and do it the way it's outlined. Don't make shit up. And uh, for a long time, I was around people that were making stuff up. I was making stuff up. We didn't know any better. But we got back into this book, and we really took it to heart. So the first page is going to actually tell me what is the uh, role of the fellowship in my life, and the fellowship, it's very simple. It's, it has a very huge role in my life. It is going to be the thing that is going to support me. Okay? For years, I thought that the fellowship was here to change me. I needed a psychic change, right? So if I rub up against some spiritual women and men, maybe I do what they do. I'll go go to 90 and 90. I'll do, you know, go to only this kind of meeting, you know. Maybe then I'll get it too, right? But really, it is... It is a very false sense of security to think that I can come into the fellowship and fellowship alone will get me abstinent and keep me abstinent. It, is, it did it for a long time for me. It, I'm not going to lie, it's a very strong force, but it didn't last that long. So um, what, what they're going to do is they're going to tell me that there's two elements to this program. One is the element of fellowship, and it says here, the feeling of having shared in a common peril is one element in a power cement, powerful cement that binds us. That's alluding that there's another element. Okay, And for years, I didn't really see what the element was. I just thought it was fellowship. I'll do what they do, and I'll you know go where they go, and maybe I'll get what they got, and I don't even know what that was. But what it meant for me in my, naiv- my na- naivety, can't even say that word, is that I was going to be thin, and you were going to teach me how to eat, Right, and then I'll never have these problems again. I'll feel great about myself. Um, It tells me here that this powerful cement is going to bind us, but there's only one element, and that's fellowship. And it's not and never going to hold me together as we are now joined. So what is this other part of the glue that's going to hold me together with you on this journey? The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution we have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from compulsive eating. So, here I am, right? Uh, is there a common solution? And I can tell you that even uh, in my experience with Alcoholics Anonymous, sometimes there isn't. Even in Overeaters Anonymous, sometimes there isn't. You know, if, if I'm following a certain food plan... Right? And I go to another meeting and they're not following that food plan. There is no common solution there. Because we realized that the solution, as Kim talked about earlier, was the only one part is the abstinence part. That's going to take care of the physical allergy. What about the mental obsession? So now I'm going to be talking about mental obsession here. That this solution that I need is going to be fellowship that's going to support me while. The solution, which is the 12 steps, is going to change me. doesn't matter what food plan I'm on. doesn't matter how many meetings I go to. It doesn't matter. That's not my common solution. My common solution is the 12 steps and how I take them, when I take them, how quickly I take them. There's a timeline in here, right? And I need a guide. I need somebody in that fellowship that's going to support me by saying, Maria, you're on your way. This is what, what, what I want you to do next. Let's open up the book and read it. It's going to tell us how to move forward. It's going to tell us when to move forward, how quickly. Don't saunter. Things like that. So that was really good news for me because now I had a, a really clear idea of where I was falling short because I relapsed twice in these programs, right? And I would come in to say, I ain't going back there. That shit doesn't work for me. Why would I go back there? It doesn't work. But I never really had all of... I wasn't armed with the facts. Mm. I wasn't in this book. I wasn't aligned with a clear-cut program. I was all over the place. It almost was as if I was like a little rowboat and I had too much slack on my, on my line. I was attached to the dock, but I wasn't tightly attached to the dock. So any, th- any time a storm would come, I was bouncing around. I needed to be reined in. And the what reined me in was to be held to a, um, a higher purpose, and that was to follow these 12 steps the way they're outlined. Um, and there is a solution. There is uh, some, some wonderful information, and we're still in step one, right? Um, I would like to talk about the qualification of alcoholics, right? And we're going to talk about compulsive overeating because that's what this group is gathered here for. So on page 20 of There is a Solution, we're going to talk about how do I know I'm a compulsive overeater, right? How do I absolutely know? I have to know what a compulsive overeater is not, okay? And I have a really, really great idea of what a compulsive overeater is not. So when I read this on the very bottom of page 20, it says, moderate drinkers have little trouble in giving up food entirely if they have good reason for it. They can take it or leave it alone. So, Kim gave a little example, and mine is very similar. I'm sitting at a party with my sister, and she likes chocolate cake, and I like chocolate cake. She has a piece, I have a piece. And she goes, ugh, this is so rich. And she pushes herself away from the table after she has a couple bites. And I'm thinking, ain't this a bitch? Here she goes again. She's such a (laughs) show-off, first of all. Look at her with all her self-control, right? I cannot stop thinking about how I'm going to get her piece over to me, how I'm going to go in the kitchen, I'm going to help them clean up, I'm going to ask for a piece to go home for my son, but I ain't going to make it home because I'm going to eat that in the car. Right? And when I tell you um, this obsession, this obsession it was ignited by the physical allergy first, right? Um, my sister did not need willpower, she didn't want any more. She doesn't have a physical allergy. She doesn't obsess about chocolate cake. She could give a shit. She can take it or leave it alone. I know I'm not that girl. I can't take it or leave it alone. Right? So I'm not a moderate drinker. (laughs) Let's move on. (laughs) Then we have a certain type of hard drinker. He may be in the habit badly enough to gradually impair him physically and mentally It may cause him to die a few years before his time. A sufficiently strong reason, ill health, falling in love, change of environment, or the warning of a doctor becomes operative. This man can also stop or moderate, although he may find it difficult and troublesome and may even need medical attention. Okay, well that could be me. I'm kind of like a hard eater, right? But um, I can tell you that every time I went to the doctor and I got bad news that my cholesterol was through the roof, that I had to have shots in my feet because my I had plantar fasciitis so badly from having a hundred pound weight gain on a five foot two frame, right? That that stuff didn't stop me from leaving that doctor's appointment and having to go let the valve out. Just mm-hmm. let let a little a little bit of this scared. Oh my God! I am in a shit world of trouble. My dad died at 49, 59, and I'm forty nine now, and the writing's on the wall. I'm gonna die right? But I can't say hear that news from my doctor and go home and get right with my food. I couldn't do it. So what I would do is I like to call it pulling it in. And there's many places I pull in, but for the sake of this meeting, I'm going to pull into a fast food joint something like that. Because I can't take the heat. The writings on the wall and I don't know how to stop. If I knew how to stop, maybe I could, right? But the doctor would just say, you need to watch your weight. You need to get this under control. This is where you're going. We're going to have to put you on high blood pressure medicine soon. We're going to have to do this. So if I read this description of the hard drinker and it tells me that a sufficiently strong reason, like ill health, is going to stop me, BANG! Nope, didn't stop me. <laughs> How about falling in love? Oh, my God. Every time I was hot on someone, I would get so thin. Guess what? False advertising. Because, because when, when that alcohol would, would diminish and, and good time Charlie, Maria, had to, like, calm down a little bit and be respectable, guess what picked up? Eating. So, you know, uh, acceptable. Let's go out and eat. <laughs> All of a sudden, falling in love didn't work anymore. Change of environment, I can't go anywhere without taking me with me. So that's not going to help. I knew that. So guess what? I can't stop or moderate, even though it may I might find it difficult and troublesome and need medical attention. I still can't do it. So guess what? I'm not a hard eater. That leaves me with one option. What about the real alcoholic? Huh? I may start off as a moderate drinker. I may or may not become a continuous hard drinker, but at some stage of my eating career, once I begin, I lose all control of my food consumption once I start to drink. I don't only lose control of my food consumption. If I decide to restrict, I will lose all control of my restricting uh, issue. I will restrict till the cows come home. I can stay. I can not eat for, like, five days straight. No problem. I'm not a real good anorexic because... I, the physical allergy, the mental obsession, and then I binge, so I couldn't really stay in that state of mind. I know a lot of people that could, though, in OA, you know. But um, here's the earmark of a real alcoholic or a real compulsive overeater: that at some stage of my food career, I begin to lose all control once I start. That's the physical allergy. That's the physical allergy. Once I start, I can't stop. I can definitely um, relate into that. So this book is then is meant for me. I can actually read this and, and compare in instead of identifying out. Mm-hmm. I can't now for me it never was like this because I'm alcoholic, but there's many overeater people in Overeaters Anonymous that say, I can't read that big book. It has nothing to do with me. My dad was alcoholic, so I think about him when I read it. Mm-hmm. My job is not to identify not to compare out. Let's try to identify in. And if you have a guide that can show you where these wonderful little bits of knowledge are, it's going to be a lot more beneficial. The problem is people like me, I like to do it on my own. I don't need your help. I know how to read. (laughs) Unfortunately, there's a lot in here that I needed help with. And thank God. One of the reasons Kim and I are at 482 Club Hall is because this is where we came to fortify our step work when we were getting recovered. This is where we came. It was a beautiful place for us, and we want to give back. That's why we're here today. So um, one of of the things that I, I know about this physical allergy is very, very commonplace. Like Dr. Silkworth would say to the alcoholics, listen, it looks like you're an alcoholic. Why don't you just not drink, and you'll be okay? And some people, a lot of people, were able to do that. But some people came rolling in like a revolving door. They just couldn't, right? So, on the bottom of page 22, it says, We are equally positive that once he takes any alcohol, whatever, into his system, and we have to know what our alcoholic food ingredients are. It's not all food, it's not all food behaviors. There's a lot of people that don't restrict, there's a lot of people that don't compulsively overeat, there's a lot of people, but I have to know what they are for me, right? Um, some people can have flour. I can't, you know. Um, it's very important that everybody qualifies in in that very, very beginning stage, you know, because you don't want to adapt somebody else's food plan if it's not going to work for you, you know. Um, so we're equally positive that once he takes any alcohol, whatever, into his system, trace amounts for me, something happens both bodily and mental, in the mental sense, which makes it virtually impossible for him to stop The experience of any alcoholic will abundantly confirm this. These observations would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. So if my problem was just physical allergy, I would put that stuff down and never want it again. If if my throat was going to close up because I even smelled or licked a peanut... I would never even be around a peanut, right? My rational thinking mind would say, don't go near that. It's going to hurt you. But that doesn't work for me with certain food ingredients. So this tells me, therefore, the main problem for me is my mind. My disease lies in my mind, my thinking mind. It will always tell me that I know exactly how to get ease and comfort. I may be abstinent right now, but this is not a good feeling. You know, my step one did not happen to me uh, outside of these rooms. I didn't have it as a step one experience and then come to, to Overeaters Anonymous. I came to Overeaters Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous at the same time, put everything down at the same time. I was a raw nerve. I was angry, some of you will remember. <laughs> and what happened to me was the longer I moved away from my substances, the crazier I got, the more restless, the more irritable, the more discontent, and the more white-knuckling I did with my substances, the crazier I got where I got to a point where I was leaving a meeting and I knew I was pulling in. I was either going to go to a fast food joint, go, go to a liquor store, something I needed relief. I needed relief, and I couldn't get it. I couldn't get it. Um, I had an amazing experience where I asked for help, and help, and help came. Never underestimate the power of prayer, Mm. the power of crying out, I need help. Um, In this chapter, I'm still talking about step one, and this is vital, vital for me to realize, that on page 24, what the heck does powerlessness, powerlessness mean? And in this paragraph, it's going to tell me in the italic writing, very important, do not overlook italic writing, that there's three things that I'm powerless over. I am powerless over choice. I am powerless over willpower, and I am powerless over memory. And we'll break it down. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. So this book does not say, Maria, read me. I'm going to tell you how you're going to stay abstinent one day at a time. It tells me, Maria, read me, get spiritual, and then maybe you'll have a shot of being abstinent one day at a time. I cannot stay abstinent without spirituality. I just can't do it. So I don't have a choice. If I think that I'm gonna be abstinent today because I said, I, because I said it, I'm gonna be <laughs> abstinent today. That, I proved that over and over again, I can't do that. Every Monday I proved that. You know, Every January 1st I proved that. You know, every morning when I woke up, hung over from the night before. By the way, totally stone cold sober, but in the food, I have created such havoc physically in my life. I backed out of my driveway and hit my husband's car on three separate occasions, wasted on food, hung over from the night before, driving kids home, falling asleep at the wheel. Seriously, food is just as dangerous as alcohol for me. So I don't have a choice. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. I like how Bill almost is like tongue-in-cheek here, like so-called willpower, right? Now, I can tell you that in my life, I've done amazing things. I have a lot of willpower. I'm organized. I can get some shit done. I started a business. I have a family. I can manage a household. I'm like really super, like, I got a lot of willpower. But when it comes to eating, I can't even pull it. Out of, out of my back pocket for an, a, a minute can't do it can't do it um so it did become practically non-existent for me we are not able at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago we are without defense against the first drink when it comes to memory i remember i remember what it's like to feel like I'm a hundred pounds overweight, I know that feeling. I remember what it felt like to be hungover, to not function, to have memory loss, to be foggy. I remember what it felt like to have low self-esteem, to not be able to leave my house because I don't want anybody looking at me. I remember that, but if I am not spiritually fit today, that shit is going right out the window. I'm not even gonna bring it into my forefront. I have the I have memory, I just can't use it. It's ineffective for me, I'm powerless right? It says we are without defense against the first bite. It's not the 10th bite that I am out of control with. It's the first one because the first bite is going to take the second bite and the second bite is going to take the third bite and I'm off to the races. I can prove this over and over again. So for me, there's no keeping it green. You know, I remember a woman, I came back from relapse and, and I was telling my story and she said, thank you so much for sharing your relapse story, because that's really going to help me stay abstinent today. And I thought, that's such misinformation. If you think that's going to help you stay abstinent, it's not. If I think about you and your misfortune, how's that going to help me? You know, it just doesn't work for me. Um, I love that uh, (coughs) the the next page is really, this is the juice, right? This is the meat it 's going to tell me where the solution is. We just went through this at my home group last night. There is a solution. almost none of us liked it it 's telling me right off the back bat off the bat. You are not going to like this you 're not going to like it right? Who the heck wants to do all this stuff, especially if you 're slothful and and avoiding things like me i don 't want to do this stuff right but i 'm going to have to and there 's two reasons why i 'm going to do this stuff. I see that it really works in others. Check. If there's not another recovered man or woman in the room giving me experience, strength, and hope, then what am I doing here? Why am I coming? I can sit at home and be miserable, right? I don't want to hear your miserable story. Give me some experience, strength, and hope. I see that in recovered people all the time in this area, and I'm grateful. I'm so grateful that I have that. So check. That, that was in place for me. Then we had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we've been living it. Check. Hopeless. futile. I'm spinning my wheels. I'm not getting anywhere. I can't make this abstinence thing happen. Yeah, I, I see. I see. So then I'm willing to do this stuff. I'm willing to go through some self-searching, some leveling of my pride, some confession of shortcomings, because this process requires it. Once I'm on board, there's some requirements. There are suggestions, but once I get on board, there are requirements. When, therefore, we were approached by those in whom the problem had been solved, and that, for me, is very important as a sponsor. It's telling me it's my job to approach others because the problem's been solved in me, and it's my job, it's my medicine, that's my step 12. Mm. You know, and what I'm told is, you better go find a sponsor. Well, how am I going to find a sponsor? Because I've, what I think is going to work the first time was, who has the best car, greatest outfits, I like that leather bag you have, you're going to be my sponsor. What do I know? I'm the sickest woman in the room, right? And I'm going to pick my own sponsor. And, uh, you know, just the next time I came in, I knew that didn't work, so I picked this most spiritual woman in the room. And I'm going to rub up against her, and through osmosis, she's going to get me abstinent, right? Wrong. Wrong. i got to do this stuff. I've got to do the self-searching, the leveling of my pride, the confession of shortcomings, because this is what is required of me. So if I can do all this right and I approach others, there's nothing left for me but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at my feet. I need a new operating system. The spiritual kit of tools laid at my feet is the 12 steps. It's a new operating system. I've been operating on, this, on the kit of self-will found later in this book all my life. I don't know how to operate in any other way, but there's going to be a recovered man and woman that's going to teach me how. They're going to show me. They're going to, with love and kindness and patience, they're going to show me how to do this stuff. They're rooting for me. They're with me. Um, That's what I found. Um, We have found much of heaven, and we have been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence, which we have not even dreamed. That's a little carrot on a stick for me that Mm -hmm. Bill gives me. Like, I ain't going to want to do this, but don't you want to go to heaven with me? Yeah, I do, Bill. Yeah, I do. (laughs) All right, so I want to go down to the bottom paragraph. If you are seriously as food addicted, as we were, we believe there is no middle of the road solution. What's your middle of the road solution? I know what mine were. I'm gonna come in. I'm only gonna go to meetings. Uh, I don't need a sponsor this time. I'm gonna do it my own on my own. Um, I I'm gonna make some amends, but not all of them. You know, I got a lot of middle of the road solutions. Right, we were in a position where life was becoming impossible. Check. And if we had passed into a region from which there is no return through human aid, check. Nothing helped me. There was nothing left in my bag of tricks. Then I have two alternatives. Door number one and door number two. There are other doors. Door number three will always lead back to door number one or door (laughs) number two. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of my intolerable situation as best I can. So what's my intolerable situation? When I'm not abstinent, my intolerable situation, I think, is food and weight issues. Mm -hmm. Then I put them down. But why am I still in an intolerable situation? My thinking mind is my intolerable situation. If it's unchecked and I am that rowboat that's out at sea without being tethered in and I'm flying about, all unsafe and unprotected, then I'm in my intolerable situation. My tolerable situation is knowing, step two, Guess what? There is a power greater than me. Let me, like, align myself with that. Let me use all the will I can muster to align my will with God's. Maybe I'll be safe and protected then. So, door number one is sitting in my intolerable situation as best as I can. And door number two is accept spiritual help. And this I do. Because I want it. I want to willingly do something different. I know that there's no hope for me if I don't. Like I said, the writing was on the wall for me physically. My dad died at 59. I was turning 49. I've been in this program before. I relapsed twice. What's it going to be different this time? Well, maybe I should try something different. And it just happened that I landed in a beautiful spot and I was carried through. Until I, uh, I, I had, was able to get all the way to the end and I have conscious contact with my creator. Which can do for me what I can't do for myself. So that, that's the end of There's a Solution.